Hi, I am Laura Quigley, and I am hijacking the Future Works podcast this week for a wonderful reason. Um, I am the Commissioner of Community Resources down here in Sullivan County, New York, and I'm also the Director of the Workforce Development Board. And I have been at this a very long time, and I have the distinct pleasure of having been the Chair of the NIATEP Board when we were in transition and we hired Melinda, um, Melinda Mack as our new Executive Director. And it has been 10 years since that fabulous decision that we made. And so this, with this podcast, we are going to do some reminiscing and some conversation with Melinda on her 10-year anniversary. So can you believe it's been 10 years, Laura? Yes, it has been an amazing 10 years. Like I, you know, it's 10 years and then I feel like you've always been in your position. So it's kind of a weird, like pre-you, it's like I don't bother with, I don't remember really, I remember bits and pieces, but the last 10 years has just been really transformative in many ways. I mean, everything um, has changed and nothing has changed at all in some some spots. And so, I don't know, I was thinking in preparation for this conversation, like, when was the first time that we met? Probably. We, it had to be probably 12 years ago, maybe, yeah. when, when you were the New York City board director. Um, I met you at a Albany meeting of board directors. I was fortunate you sat at my table. We had a lot of fun. Um you know, you were engaging and funny and smart and all your great stuff. And uh, the one thing that stuck out is that at the end of the day, you shook the hand of everybody at the table and said how nice it was to meet to meet us, which I thought was incredibly sweet and a very nice, a very nice touch. Um, do you remember that? Do you remember that meeting? Or- I, I do vaguely. Um, I remember, you know, we were up at 175 Central, um, which is mm-hmm. like, no offense to the folks who worked at 175 Central for forever. It's like a crummy space. It is a crummy <laughs> right? space. It's a crummy space. And um, I remember the conversation was really around sort of how to improve relationships with the state, which seems to be, again, 12 years to 13 years later, like it's always the, the ongoing topic of conversation, right? Yeah, um, I remember... Um, the gosh, I think I'm thinking in my mind mentally around like looking around that room and so many people have left the field, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Who yeah. aren't, aren't part of the web director network anymore. And so many folks are, are the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I just remember thinking like, man, this is much more complicated than I thought it would be <laughs> in well, terms of workforce know, development, just understanding like the dynamics of the people and the you know, uh, how the, how right. the system structures, right. All the craziness of, of New York state. Um, and cause you think back then, right. 2012, we're coming out of a recession. Um, Obama won reelection. Like there was like really great stuff. Obama won reelection. And then you had, you know, Colorado and Washington approved recreational marijuana and, 
you had, you know, Obama came out in favor of gay marriage and like all these good things. But then you had Sandy Hook and Trayvon Martin and you had the Aurora, Colorado shooting and Superstorm Sandy. And, and so this constant good, bad, good, bad, going back and forth, to me, some of that stuff is still here a decade later. Some of it's worse. Some of it's better. Gay marriage is now, you know, a, a, a thing in the land, at least for now, um, that, that, that's out there, which is wonderful. More and more states have decriminalized and, and, and legalized marijuana and opened up a whole new industry. Um, but there's still so many of the same complicated things. Um, and, totally. and I'm wondering, as you... Um, you know, because I remember when we were, I was fortunate at that time when we were transitioning from the founding director to a new director, which is a major transition in and of itself. I was fortunate to be president of the board at the time. And the thing that I remember from, and everybody on the board knew who you were from, from your time as, as the board director. And the thing that stood out for me, and I remember it standing out for other people as well, was... I mean, your your PowerPoint presentation that you did for your interview was terrific, your first 100 days and whatever, and you are a passionate and whip-smart person, but there's a lot of passionate and whip-smart people. The thing that made you stand out, at least to me and some others, was your authenticity. You are who you are, and that is not a common thing. And even a decade later, it is still not a common thing as much as people talk about be your authentic self. You just naturally are. You are who you are. And I think it's probably your superpower. Oh, um, and, and, and that's the thing that stuck out for me. I don't even remember your PowerPoint presentation outside of the fact that it was good. Um, <laughs> but it's the thing that came across. You were so honest and so um, yourself through that whole presentation that that's what kind of um, my question for you though is, you were in the city. You were living it. You were having this great life. Why did you choose? What was your reasoning for taking this big leap and moving back upstate? Well, I think the first thing I should mention is that when I initially spoke to the recruiter, the recruiter said that I wasn't a good fit. <laughs> said that I should, I needed to be someone who lived upstate, who was willing to move upstate, um, that I didn't have enough workforce experience. Um, they were looking for someone, I think she said a little bit more seasoned and I would be like, all right, well, I guess it's not going to work out. Right. And then either you called me or Angie called me, or maybe it was Karen Springmeyer. Someone called and was like, just submit for this job. Like, we think you would be good. I know I, I spoke to you. I I know at one point and was like, please apply. Yeah. And I remember being like, I don't know, like really, I don't know. We'll see. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think part of it was like, all right, let's give it a shot. At that point, my son, um, who was again, going to middle school this week, um, was like maybe 13 months old. And we were really struggling as a family to try to figure out how to do the childcare with both of us working full time. It was so expensive. Um, and my husband has family up here. So we're like, all right, let's give it a shot. And so I applied and then I had to come up here for the interview, which was by the way, mm-hmm. so intimidating. 
um, and presented what my vision was for NIATEP. Um, and oddly enough, as we were moving our offices from 540 Broadway across the street to 515 Broadway, I came across that PowerPoint. And to be honest, it almost has been like the playbook of what I've we've done <laughs> over the last decade, which I thought was great. Um, you know, I think I had three big goals when I started here. I think the first was to really make sure like NIATEP was financially viable, um, mm-hmm. was like an interdisciplinary workforce association. So it does, wasn't just focused on the local workforce boards, but really the full ecosystem um, of workforce development, that we were going to be the go-to place for workforce in the state, uh, but then also speak as a unified voice uh, for workforce development um, from upstate and downstate's perspective. And I think we've done a pretty good job in almost all of those. Um, and it's been it has been unbelievably interesting. And to be honest with you, I don't think I had any idea what I was getting into when I signed on for this gig. Um, Because I think it was running an association is a very specific and unique job that not a lot of people do. And it's not like running a regular nonprofit or profit or direct service nonprofit or even an intermediary. Um, It's very different. And I, I joke it's sometimes like being a combination of like a cruise director uh, like policy expert slash, um, you know, change maker slash trainer. Like it's like it's multiple jobs in one. And the upside is I feel like I was pretty well suited for it, um, despite I think some folks um, concern up front, because I certainly heard from the folks who didn't think that I would be good at this job or didn't think I could do it. Um, I think and I think one of the one of the as an outsider watching, one of the the bigger challenges that I thought what was going to be possible was you had this 20-something year founding director who had a way and a set way of doing things. At that time when you came on, a lot of those same folks were still there um, in the system. And so this is how we've always done it, which is human nature, you know. And for those of us that... maybe didn't have a clear vision of what could happen. We just knew things needed to change. And we knew because everything was changing and we knew we needed to spread our wings and we needed to include more people and more partners and we needed to do all those things. And I think one of the things for those of us that were strong supporters of yours is the fact that, yes, you were young, And that to us was an asset because you weren't quote unquote set in your ways. You weren't, you were new, you were, you know, you were fresh, you had good ideas and you spoke truth that things were as it happens. It's just nature. They got some, you know, stale. And so it was time if you're going to have a new person come in, you know, let's go for broke. Um, What were, because it was, you know, it, it was a, a, a tough beginning. It was a tough first year, especially, but a first couple of years. There was a lot of internal because here you are, you're inheriting a, a staff. There was a lot of things that were, this is how we've always done it. You had to come in and make those changes and change things. At what point did you feel like things started to click and you felt kind of a comfort level where, okay, I think I got this? Yeah, I think um, in many ways, 
you know, just to, to reiterate the first few years, I don't think folks really understand what it's like to come into an organization that, again, John had a very particular way of running the organization, but there still wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of like defined processes or systems right. in place. And so, you know, often folks would be like, well, where's your, what's the membership list? I don't know. Like there's not something that's written down in a way that's easy to track, right? <laughs> there are some some interesting accounting practices, right? Like there's a lot of that stuff that like no one really prepares you for that you have to like unearth and be in before you can start to move stuff around. That's like the internal work. The external work, as you've described, you know, there was everywhere I went, people questioned my ability to do the work, whether or not I knew enough, whether or not, I was somebody who could learn fast enough. I mean, I I can count probably on my fingers and toes the number of meetings I went to with members where I literally got the, who the blank are you? And why do you think you should be the one leading this organization? Um, and one that I was, I was still living in Brooklyn at the time. So it was one of my very first meetings where I was sort of sharing my, my vision for this bigger organization with lots of different partners and players where I had a a workforce board who will go unnamed, who said, well, then I don't think we should be members of yours anymore. That's not what John would have done. Right. And so it was like, it was really tough. I think being a young woman, um, a a newer mother, um, someone who who was sort of seen by the upstaters as a downstater for the like Mm -hmm. 10 years I spent in the city and the downstaters saw me as an upstater because I was now moving up to Albany. And it was like, gosh, I just, I felt like I couldn't win. Then throw on top of that, Hurricane Sandy happened. Right. Um, so I started August 15th. Hurricane Sandy happened in October, literally days before the first fall conference that I was there for. And I remember calling Jan and Rick right after it happened and having to say, like, we're going to have we have to cancel this. We're going to mm-hmm. refund every we have to cancel this. And when we were already in a tenuous financial position to have to cancel a conference, that did not have really the protections in place that would have allowed us to recoup revenue. It was a huge financial blow. And it was also, again, a month and a half in, two months in, and suddenly like the first big event that I'm doing now is being canceled because of this big thing that no one could help, you know? Right. So like, it was very overwhelming. And then suddenly like, oh crap, like there is, I'm not just the person who's like setting vision and strategy. Like I am the person who's stuffing name badges and doing all these so it became really like a full, like you're doing everything when you run an association, right? literally everything. Yeah. Yes. And also trying to figure out new financial models and make people want you to be around. I was given an unbelievable gift with WIOA. So when the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act came down the pike, um, I spent so many hours learning and reading and understanding WIOA to the point where no one else in the state knew anything about this law, the way that I knew about it outside of, you know, New York State Department of Labor. And so really, I think the tipping point for me is, you know, I started here in 2012. By 2014, I was like the sort of notable expert on WIOA in the state. And by 2015, when the law passed, we're going through the final rule you know, going out and then sort of being able to demonstrate my knowledge on WIOA, I think sort of cemented the fact that I wasn't a moron, (laughs) that I actually not only was was good at the job, but could be somebody who could be helpful to you. Um, But then also that I 
could do it in a way that didn't make you feel like you didn't know anything. You know, I think the, again, the compliments that I get um, that I appreciate the most are thank you so much for taking the time to teach me this because no one else I could talk to could help me figure it out. And like, you just made it easy and you made it something that was fun and not like onerous to learn. And that is where I think I've had the biggest impact. And I, I, and I, I agree with that completely. And I also think the thing that was very appreciated by many of us was when WIOA came in, um, you reached out to board members and directors and we had regular conversation with you and there was go through these sections and, you know, and when the, you know, when it was time for public go through and you still do that, you know, with things go through, tell me what you think, tell me your thoughts. And because what you wanted was the NIATEP response to not just be yours. You wanted all of us to have a say. And I think that, that probably, it, it probably dragged your response time a little bit, but it also gave us an opportunity to have some ownership and really feel a part of the organization, uh, both as a, as a board member and now also as a member, um, to be able to, to have that input. And you do that to this day um, with stuff. You're always getting things out there. Tell me your thoughts. Tell me what you're thinking. Let's have a call. Let's do this. I mean, that's a, that's a real constant um, constant thing. How has something like, you know, like you had Hurricane Sandy right away, so that's baptism by fire. But now, you, you know, 10 years later or eight years later, we have the insanity of Albany politics, right, and all the craziness that went on, trying to get a workforce director hired, doing this, doing this, all that craziness, navigating that. And then you have COVID, which in our, in the workforce world, had such an incredible impact of shutting every door, dealing with unemployment, helping businesses, doing all of those things. How did you take NIATEP and and take the direction and stay calm and kind of navigate through that storm and and help the rest of the system do that? Um, So I think, again, my superpower, as you said, maybe is being authentic, but it's also being calm under like incredible pressure. I don't know how it's just something that I've I've always done decent, uh, decent job at. And I think what happened is when COVID hit, um, again, to give you, uh, make a long story short, I was in DC at the National League of Cities conference doing a training for elected officials on workforce, what it is, why, what it was, why it was important. This is like the first week of March. And that was, I remember sitting and watching TV and um, Muriel Bowser, who's the you know DC mayor, was talking about how there was a church where someone tested positive, and now there's like a potential like two to three to four hundred cases in DC. And I called the state and said, "Hey, listen, this is going to be a big deal. We need to be out in front of this." Meaning our our folks who work in the workforce sector. So we need to have a plan for closing the career centers. We need to have a plan for communication. And I got the brush off. I got the, eh, it's not a big deal. You're just being an alarmist. And I thought, I don't think this, I, this feels bigger for some reason. Something feels mm-hmm. off, right? This feels different. Yep. And so, you know, we really, I think as an organization buckled down and rec- 
recognize that there would be likely a vacuum that we would need to step into to be able to communicate with our members and with the system around how to just navigate some of those early days. Um, and it really meant, you know, because our staff was going down left and right too. Like we had a, two staff who went out because they got COVID right away, the folks downstate. Um, but we became a spot where folks would rely on for information because we could be clear, we could be concise, we could take the stuff coming from the feds and from the state and distill it down. That I think has mm-hmm. been our secret sauce is how do we take these complex topics and issues, distill them down to something that is understandable, easy, and actionable uh, for not just the workforce boards, but for the entire system. And so, you know, we were really, really busy <laughs> those first six to yeah. eight months. Right. Mm-hmm. We were hosting weekly calls with workforce board directors who were trying to navigate closing career centers, what do you need to do, and sort of, you know, sharing. But I also think the piece that I have learned with age, but also in the last decade, is like I'm not an expert in any of this stuff. You know, like the folks who are on the ground who do this work day in and day out are really the experts. And I'm just lucky enough to get to hang out with you guys all the time. And so I wasn't the one who should be like detailing what you should be doing. You guys should be figuring it out together. And in some ways, my job and the job of this, the team at ITEP is to take what you guys are saying out loud, make sense of it, and then sort of figure out process that can go around it. And that has been really helpful in the last decade because that's pretty much how we do most of our work. Um, but it also mm-hmm. means that the best ideas are still coming from the field and from the people doing the job day in and day out, not from on high, which in some ways, NIATEP could be seen as an ivory tower as well. And I just don't ever want us to be that. Right. And I don't think anyone who knows the organization could ever accuse it of being of being that, especially in the last decade. Um, you do have um, all new staff, right? When you became the director, you had two. Um, both of them have, have moved on. Um, and you have more staff. So what was your um, strategy to grow your revenue enough and to focus your areas and to make the decisions that you made in the ways that you've expanded your staff? Oh, man. Well, again, part of this was so guided by the board uh, because it's not my association. It's the Fields Association, right? Um, and I think from, you know, I keep going back thinking about being with the Rochester Ad Council probably six years or seven years ago um, in Finger Lakes, we were in Geneva um, at Karen Springmeyer's spot, where we really talked around like the branding of NIATEP. And it really was around these three buckets of work, which have been so paramount and hallmark to what we do, which is the voice piece, which is the advocacy piece, the knowledge piece, which is the professional development and information sharing piece, and the progress piece. And again, as I've shared to you with you many times, you know, part of my job is not just to like regurgitate what you all do. It's also to drag you guys into the future. You know, a lot of folks are forward thinking. There are a lot of folks who are not. And I'm now at a point where I can, in many ways, like cajole and and push people towards doing things because they realize I'm not doing it for my benefit. I'm doing it for the benefit of the sector, right? Like, I will never stand up and say, like, workforce development is amazing at everything because we're not. We're just not. And if you can't admit where there's not room for improvement, then what are you doing? Right. What are you doing? And so um, I think that the ability to sort of think about it in those buckets has been also very helpful in this continue continual refining of the work, but also Mm -hmm. more importantly, 
continually refining the types of skill sets we need to have on the team. When we talk to members, the number one thing that they like about NIATEP or they come to NIATEP for is for the advocacy work at the federal Mm -hmm. and state level. Um, For a while, we dabbled in city work. I think we sort of recognize that our strengths truly are on federal and state and we're helpful to the city work as our members see fit. Um, But in addition to that and the knowledge piece, we really believe that the best way to do this work is in networking together our members, right? Like I think often folks in the city are shocked to learn that some of the national best practices in the field are in upstate New York. They are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. And, you know, this ability to be able to help the North country, you know, you know, empathize with the Bronx is huge. Like they have very similar transportation issues and poverty rates um, in Watertown as they do in the Bronx. Right. And so uh, from my perspective, that's where like this, that's where sort of the connectedness of the field comes from. Um, And then lastly, on the progress piece, you know, we have to be able to stick our, stick our necks out. Um, I've been able to stick my neck out in the last 10 years. either on Mm -hmm. policy issues or on disagreements with the state because I have the backing of the field. And I think that has been a huge part where we have networks and have the ability to do things that other organizations don't is because I've, again, been authentic in the relationships I've developed. And I think the folks here in Albany recognize um, or folks in politics recognize, like, I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods that's not true or doesn't exist. And I think it's the same thing with funders. Like, I'm honest with our funders. I don't Mm -hmm. fake it until I make it. I tell them what we can and can't do. Um, And I will say, I'll never forget sitting in a meeting um, with our executive committee. I don't know if you're still the chair or not. Um, And Paul, who used to run, um, uh, what is it, up in uh, the North Country? Um, North Country. Um, Yes. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Not the board, but you know what I'm talking about, the economic development Yes, I do. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was on our board. And I remember setting a a fundraising goal of $200,000. And he was like, I don't think you can do it. <laughs> How are you going to get to 200? How are you going to do this? I don't think you can do it. And, you know, now our goal is like 750,000 or, you know, 600,000. Right. And we're pretty consistently hitting it because a lot of it has to do with like relationship development, proving that you're effective in what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, a lot of the bets we've made have panned out, but also more importantly, like we've built the expertise on the team to be able to hit a lot of these higher marks. Now, with all of these things that you um, have accomplished and the things that you want to do with your team, you've mentioned the board a couple of times. What is, as a director of a nonprofit and an association like ours, where you have a board, but you also have membership, um, what is the importance, value, role, or whatever to a director of um, having a good, strong board? Oh, man, so many things, right? So I this is certainly no knock on the prior board. Um, I think from my perspective, the board has provided a space to support me, but also has provided a space to push me. Um, and, you know, as a, a director, uh, executive director of an organization, I can't go to a staff member to say, like, I'm having these problems that I need to try to work through. What are, you know, what are your ideas, especially when it comes to, like, staff the organization or dealing with high profile partnerships. And I've really relied on the board of directors to be like my network to put, to test ideas with, and also be like, is this mm-hmm. crazy or how do I handle the situation? Um, and I am so lucky that 
the board has been always very responsive and receptive to that, especially the executive committee members. I mean, think about all the, the phone calls that we had early yeah. on where I was like, Laura, I don't know how to do this. And yeah, I, no one sort of said to me, like, you cannot admit when you don't know how to do something, which again, mm-hmm. I think is so important, especially for young leaders. Again, I was 31 when I took over this gig. Um, mm-hmm. I was a woman, right, coming into a pretty right. male-dominated space here in Albany, um, and the board was really good about that. Um, the upside, too, is the board has transitioned and has also helped um, sort of solidify and push sort of that we want to be an innovator in the sector, right? And so that means mm-hmm. taking some more yeah. risks. And so, you know, again, Evelyn has been leading this diversity, equity, inclusion work, which is so crucial um, if we're not going to take this on as a sector, then what are we doing, right? Like there's right. structural Absolutely. and systemic racism in the workforce system. It is our, incumbent on us as folks who are in many ways perpetuating some of these issues to sort of stand up and say, no, 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 this isn't going to be like this anymore. We're going to start to create change, right? Um, right? Some boards would have said, whoa, what are you doing? That's stepping into some highly political territory. And our board was like, absolutely. We should be embracing this, right? And so, right. again, I feel really lucky to we be-, be. We have to be the example for that, right? So we have to be the totally. leaders in that. Absolutely, completely. And Evelyn is the right person for it. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. I will also say, I think the other piece too is there has definitely been some push pull with the board over the last couple of years around just like changing the organization, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember when I went out on my first maternity leave, there's, you know, Again, I have so so many things have happened just in my personal life since I right. <laughs> took over as ED, right? Like, first of all, I moved my family from New York City back to Albany, right? Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, I had two more children. So I've had three children <laughs> in total mm-hmm. since living here. Um, early on, my mom passed away, right? My mm-hmm. mom was really sick for a couple of years. Um, and then, of course, I got sick in these most recent years. And when it comes down to it, like, I've had had a lot of questions and and push the organization forward a little bit in terms of thinking about what does work-life balance look like, but also how do we become an organization that also subscribes to job quality, right? I think if you remember some of those initial conversations about salary, about time off and leave, Mm -hmm. my initial maternity leave, it was like, what? Like, this is BS. Like, I, I... you know, um, and if you remember, there were so many times early on when I would be taking my kids with me places, you uh-huh. know, because yep, I do remember, yeah, mm-hmm. because I was a, you know, a breastfeeding mom and it, it was hard for me to be away three days, but I needed to be away because I had to raise money because we needed the money as an organization. Yep. And so I literally had like a caravan of family following me. So I say all that to say, I think that, you know, it was tough at the beginning to sort of say, it's not just the external stuff that has to change it's some of the internal stuff that has to change. Um, and I think initially the board was not as trusting in terms of my ability to do some of that stuff, but I think mm-hmm. creating a place where remote work is accepted. We were very early adopters of that. And I got, yeah. as you remember, a lot of eye rolls about being able to remote oh, work and having people actually do work. Right. Um, but also around, really thinking about this concept of work-life balance and my ability to manage staff. And so I think, you know, the board has evolved with me over the last decade um, around that, but also the organization has evolved. Um, 
And what's exciting is, you know, we've hired a lot of people in the last couple of years and folks, a lot of the stuff they say in their interviews is it just seems like a really great place to work. And that to me is like, thank God, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm right. creating yeah. a place that I've always dreamed of being able to work and that people are right. attracted to working here, I think is exciting. So, you know, we've talked about the, the fact that you, you know, took this job at 31 and, you know, it's only 10 years later, you're only 41 years old. Um, and I remember when I was in high school, I was told like, you're going to have 10 careers in your life. And now it's like 15 or 16 careers in your life, whatever. Um, and we see a lot in workforce. We see a lot, especially young people, you know, a couple years here, a couple years there because they're hopping, their career's going here. They don't really know. They're trying different things out. Um, what has made you stay 10 years and not hop? Well, it's not that I haven't thought about it, right? I think mm-hmm. everyone at some sure. point is just like, oh, God, I can't do this anymore, <laughs> right? I'm done. I'm done. I'm, <laughs> I'm out of here. Um, I've certainly thought about that, but I will say again, the flexibility I have to keep pursuing things that I think are right or interesting, um, keeps me here. Right. So I can come to Mm -hmm. the board and say, you know, what I really think we need to do is X, Y, or Z. And they would be like, all right, like, let's figure out how we carve time out to do that. And you can pursue that, you know, really good example. When I took a group of folks to Germany a couple of years ago to explore youth apprenticeship, Right. Right. Um, the initial question the board had was like, really? And I was like, this is why I want to do it. Right. It's part of a larger vision that I have around a youth workforce development strategy that integrates career, technical education, hands-on learning with, with K-12. It's part of like a dropout. And you're like, okay, just go, just go. (laughs) Right. And that is actually, please just go to Germany for a week. It's fine. Right. Um, and in reality, it's like what a, a thousand bucks off of the, the, you know, our budget to be able to do something that really energized a group of folks around apprenticeship and youth apprenticeship, but also open their eyes to new ideas, right? That's the kind of stuff that gets me excited. Um, But also when I'm starting to see progress, right? Like, again, when I I remember coming to the board and saying, hey, we're going to make a big power play. It's like 2017 this year, we're going to try really hard to see if we can get the state to put money in the state budget. And everyone was like, that's hilarious. (laughs) I wish you well. <laughs> right. And we, we proposed, yeah, 25 million or 50 million. And a part of this was, you know, starting back in 2012, all of this relationship building, relationship building, relationship building. Right. Yep. Um, and recognizing that, oh, wait, they talk workforce at the governor's level, but they don't actually understand what we're talking about. Right. And that right. 25 million then transformed to this 175. And then because we had been doing the advocacy academy for all these years, we then had this group of advocates who were ready to advocate. So we were just, we were hit it right at the right moment in time. Mm-hmm. Has it worked out perfectly? Of course it hasn't. It's government. Government's running things. Right. Nothing runs perfectly when government runs it. Yeah, right. But the fact that we were able to do it and now this year to do the 350 million, like that's the stuff when you start to see, okay, you're not crazy. Because <laughs> right. there's again, a lot of folks who think I'm a little crazy. You're not crazy. These things do make sense. We are mm-hmm. making progress um, that keep me here. I think for me, the place that I really want to see us in the next couple of years is to be able to really think about, again, that like networked community with a recognition mm-hmm. that someone in Buffalo feels like they know the right person to call in Western or not Western American, like the Southern tier to ask a question about a national best practice. 
but also more importantly that we really get some of the big ticket things we know have to happen in our state. So like a unified data system that actually collects the data we need and information we need, that we start to have research reports that are dem- like demonstrative of the success of the system. Because what right. I also find so deeply frustrating is everyone knows we don't have enough people with the skills necessary for the jobs of today or tomorrow, but we don't right. have enough information to describe what the jobs are of today or tomorrow. And in addition yeah. to that, we have no way to measure whether or not we've been successful in training the people for the jobs of today and tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. And it's all comes down to information data. And I'm frustrated that folks outside of workforce think that this is just easy and we're bad at it. Yes. And it's yeah. not easy and we're not bad at it. We just don't have information to share that demonstrates our success. And that's, and, and it's one of the things all the years that, you know, as board director, or whatever, when people, family, when they ask me what I do, I'm, I, I would start and then I would just stop and, and I would I just help people get jobs because it was so complicated. And so, you know, when people ask you, well, what is NIATEP and what do you do? How do you describe, you know, what's your 30 second on, on what you do? Yeah, I, I say our job is to make sure that everybody in the economy has the opportunity to have a good or better job. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? And I think that yep. that's the simple way to describe it. And of course, people are like, well, what does that mean? If you're my dad, it's well, she works for the governor. I do not work for the governor. <laughs> I've never worked for the governor. Um, uh, and I think part of this is, is helping people recognize like what we're doing is so interdisciplinary. Um, mm-hmm. And it's trying to solve basically all of the societal issues that were not solved previously for a person or for a business that mm-hmm. there's not one solution that fits everybody, right? Like we're trying to solve poverty. We're trying to solve lack of education. We're again, trying to solve for uh, systemic racism. And that comes up in lots of different ways. Um, mm-hmm. We're trying to solve for housing and housing crises and transportation and food insecurity. And, and that's why it's so complicated. And that's why it takes a certain type of person to go into the workforce development sector, not just the nonprofit sector, because you have to be innately curious to try to figure out root causes of issues and solve for those because otherwise you're just band-aiding everything and you know band-aids again I have three little kids in my house band-aids are like stickers but they always fall off eventually right and I think that's the challenge we're having is they the band-aids are initially strong enough to make it look like things are moving forward and then eventually they fall off and we're right back where we started and again I feel like we're starting to make some progress on the structural stuff. And and I I agree with you. I think we are um sometimes I think they're baby steps but that's okay cuz there's still steps. Um and I agree when it comes to workforce that we you know workforce is ubiquitous, right? We're like computers, we're everywhere. And we cannot there's no such thing as us staying in our lane because for somebody to be able to get that job and be successful and whatever, you absolutely, there's poverty, there's transportation, there's childcare, there's this, there's that, there's, you know, work-life balance, there's health, there's this, all of those things go into someone's ability. It is not a matter of walking in and filling out an application. There's so much that goes along with that. Um, Totally. Well, and I also think just, just even that part that you just mentioned too, like often what I'll hear, again, depending on where you drive around in the state, you know, the one upside is, is because I am a woman and still relatively young, 
people still in some of those centers or programs don't know me by face, although sometimes mm-hmm. they do. And I don't know who they, they are. And that's like very freaky. Um, but, yeah. you know, you walk in and they don't know who I am and I can overhear some of their conversations, especially early on. And a lot of it mm-hmm. was it felt more like a political issue, like where folks didn't believe that poor people deserved a shot. Um, right. I feel like some of that is changing, even in some of our more conservative parts of the state. What I struggle with a bit, though, is the fact that like people don't see that one organization can't fix it. Like the workforce board can't fix it alone. Like the community right. college can't fix it alone. It's sort of like if you're building a house, a general, like in many ways, the boards are like general contractors and they're managing mm-hmm. all the different trades coming in to build the house, right? You wouldn't ask a carpenter Absolutely. to do electrical. You wouldn't ask a plumber to do the roof. It's the same kind of thing. And yet we still can't quite figure out how to make that work everywhere. Um, for me, that's deeply frustrating, but also at the same time, why I keep picking away at doing this work? Because I have seen it improve. And the fact that we've been able to make so much progress with the economic development sector, talking about workforce development, they may not know everything about it just yet, but we're getting there. Um, and when you hear the messages that NIATEP has been sort of talking about for a decade, start to go through the halls of the second floor and through the halls of the assembly in the Senate. And mm-hmm. when I show up at business meetings and businesses are saying it, that's when I feel like, ah, oh, yes, finally, we're making progress. Right. We have a seat at the table. Yes. Wonderful. Um, let me ask you for, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. And I, I mean, I, I do this as my own personal um, thing that I do. And that is, I'm very fortunate right now. I mentor about four or five young women that are young professionals. And, um, and because I believe very strongly in um, helping guide women to um, be their authentic selves, to get, be confident, to be, um, to be able to express their ideas and, and do all of that stuff because those structures are still in place. And um, for you, if you were speaking to a 31-year-old who was about to apply as a director, right, um, what kind of advice and what, what would you say to that young professional woman who was looking to take this kind of a leap? Uh, I think the first thing I would say is it sucks, but you do have to be more prepared than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yep. You don't have Absolutely. to be the best. You don't have to be the best at anything. You have to be just a bit more prepared than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's also the same thing. I hate to say this with our membership. I don't know everything, but I need to know where I can find everything so that I can be helpful to you. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but in addition to that, I also, someone gave me this advice once who was a mentor of mine, a guy by the name of Joe Stefbo, who I worked with when I worked in Buffalo and was a college professor of mine who then hired me when I worked in Buffalo for a bit. Um, when I left the job, he said, you do realize you can talk in meetings, right? That like you have a voice and like the things that you say are important and matter. And before then, this might surprise people, I was like silent in meetings because mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I should speak up, right? I felt like right. I had to be called on before I spoke up. And right. that to me really like sat with me. Um, and I started to recognize that like, if I could put together a clear argument for what I wanted to do and why I wanted to do it and have done the research and the data, I brought the data to the table that when I presented it, like it would be really hard to argue against trying it or doing it. And so like, that's basically how we operate NIATEP, how I've worked in all of my, my roles and positions the last, you know, 20 years that I've been in workforce development. Um, 
it has made a huge difference. It's made a huge difference because I feel more confident coming to the table if I'm well-prepared, but also mm-hmm. it's really tough to argue with me if I've got good evidence for why we should pursue something. A well, way. and that's just it because it makes it about the issue you're trying to solve. And people do then tend to forget that you're this young woman um, because you're focused on solving this problem. You know, that to me is the role of government. We're here to solve problems. And, and, and so you're absolutely right. You have to be more prepared and work harder. It's just the way it is. But that's, that's okay because then you end up being smarter anyway. So there you <laughs> it's go. true. And then the other, <laughs> the other thing that I would say is, um, and this is something I've learned, is if, if you don't ask, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Right? If I, if, I didn't, yep. if I didn't push back on you initially for a salary, I would have mm-hmm. never gotten the salary, right? If I didn't Absolutely. say, you know, I need extra time off because I have an infant, it would have never happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't say, I want to try to do this thing, is it okay? Because I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> it would have right. never yeah. happened. Um, right. And the only, other, the only other thing I would suggest is um, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a bitch to get it. <laughs> Just, no, you, know, you don't. You don't. And I think, as you know, you can be firm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have this sign that hangs behind my desk um, uh, in the office that says, like, work hard and be nice to people. Like, Mm -hmm. I really, truly think like being working hard and being kind, like gets you really far. And it might take me a little longer because I'm not going to steamroll somebody. um, Mm -hmm. But I, I really try very hard to live with that ethos because I don't know. It's not like treat how, treat people how you want to be treated. Although I, you know, that's certainly something that I prescribe to, but I do really think that like leading authentically makes a big difference. Um, and yeah. something that I've really stepped into um, because I've had the ability to do so because of my board. And, and I've learned over the years as, as well, right along with that is you do not, if you focus on the issue at hand, and not on your emotional reaction to an issue at hand, just the issue at hand. It like, it just makes things so much easier, you know, because this person also wants to solve it. So it's just, it's all about the issue. It's not about you. It's not about the other person. It's about the issue. Um, It's also about making sure that that you realize you come to the table and the people who are on the other side of the table don't have ill intent. Because I think a lot of folks believe, especially when you're dealing with stuff in the political infrastructure, like you believe mm-hmm. that the other people on the other side only want the worst for you or only right. want the a complete opposite or negative outcome. When, as you, right. as you just said so well, like often you're trying to solve the state for the same problem with a different approach and you might not agree on the approach. And that is something that you can probably find some common ground in. Again, not in everything, Absolutely. but especially in workforce development, there's so much common ground to be had. Um, Absolutely. And I try really hard to like not leave the office and like, like simmer because that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, with a re- again, reflection that it's not about me, like none of the stuff or why people are upset usually has nothing to do with me. It has to Absolutely. do with other stuff that's happening in their universe. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I've, I, I have learned that over the years and I, um, and if I do, if I am simmering, that's what my car is for and my ride home, you know, just get it out of my system and then go about my business. So absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
This has just been such a wonderful delight, Melinda, um, to have this opportunity to talk to you and reminisce about uh, 10 years. You are um, one of my professional heroes and personal heroes and such a dear friend um, that this has really just, this is like the highlight of my month. This is so cool. Aww, that's so sweet. Well, and I will say to Laura, I think is, is I have said to you many times, I don't know if I would have made it through those first couple of years at the organization if it wasn't for you and if it wasn't for Jan, um, yeah. sort of consistently <laughs> reminding me that it was worth it to do this work right. um, because it was the beginning was really, really hard. Um, yeah, and so, again, I am so grateful to you and for your willingness to always pick up the phone, um, but mm-hmm. also for your guidance and mentorship, because Again, although I think folks think that I like know all of the stuff, I certainly don't. And I asked mm-hmm. a lot of what I thought were dumb questions early on. Um, and my friends, colleagues, board members um, were so willing to help. And that made all the difference in the world. Yeah, no such thing as a dumb question. Aww. Thanks, Laura. All right. Did you like what you listened to? You can download previous episodes at our website, niatep.org or on Apple or Spotify.